Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. Today is the episode that we feel like we have been building toward. Well, I think this might even be like our one year anniversary episode. It's got to be right around there. And so it is only fitting that it is the episode where we cover the draft. We've been talking about the entirety of this podcast. It it finally happened, the 2020 NHL draft. It took like three times as long as it needed to, which was only fitting because it took three months longer than it needed to to arrive. Uh, But altogether, uh, I think it was a pretty interesting couple of days for the Red Wings as a franchise, uh, starting with, obviously, the the big fish, Lucas Raymond, the fourth overall pick. Yeah, I mean... You know, Lucas Raymond going fourth overall, that was, I think, the pick that a lot of people were hoping for. I think that's who you mocked to the wings uh, in, in your mock draft. Uh, honestly, he's Not my guy. last one. I can't take that credit. I My, my first couple I did, but I, I pivoted to the Perfetti uh, pick late. There, so so, so, so you sold that out to, uh, to the <laughs> Saginaw people who were pushing Cole Perfetti to Detroit. I guess I did, yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I think Detroit was going to be in a good position no matter what. I think, you know, both you and I have talked about this, that as long as they went after one of those elite uh, forwards that were in the draft, whether it was Lucas Raymond, uh, Marco Rossi, or Cole Perfetti, that they were going to be, you know, in line to add an an excellent player. And, you know, in my opinion, I think Raymond arguably is the best player of that crop. He's got the highest ceiling. I mean, you could make the argument that his ceiling is on par with the guys that went ahead of him in terms of Byfield and Lafreniere. The, I mean, his talent level is through the roof. And so uh, for the Wings to be able to add a guy like this, it's just absolutely dynamic. You know, if he has a strong season this year, you're looking about, uh, you know, early next season, potentially bringing him over to, uh, the NHL, getting him in the lineup, and then you know, depending on how he looks, that's that's the kind of move that can jumpstart a rebuild for you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, the Red Wings said it. Steve Eisman said it. He thinks they have he has elite forward potential, um, and I, I think that's an accurate statement. And I think that's what the Red Wings needed to be targeting with this pick. I, I think there were certainly a couple guys uh, who you could make that case for, but but Raymond had a lot of the the it factor to me. And, and I wrote about this uh, the night of the draft. He really does have this pedigree for the big moment, and and I know a lot of it comes down to you know this one really exciting gold medal game when when he got onto a lot of people's radar. But I asked Chris Draper about that and about the importance of, of of having something like that on a on the track record of a player you're evaluating, and and it sounded like that really does mean a lot to them it, that they want to see players step up in those big moments. And certainly, there's not a lot of big moments in during Red Wings games right now, but where they're trying to get, you need players who can win in those moments. He's got the hockey sense, he's got the skills, he can score, he can pass. Um, this is a guy who I think can help basically in every facet of the game. Yeah, I mean, completely agree. And, you know, that that hat trick with game-winning goal is just something that really, you know, set him in stone as, as arguably one of the best players to watch for in this draft. And even coming into this year, people had him as the second-best prospect. McKean's had him as at two over Byfield coming into the season. And, you know, look at him now for the Wings to be able to, you know, steal him at four. I think elite prospects in their final draft guide called Raymond the most complete winger in the draft. And so... There's not much you can really ask for. He's a dogged four-checker. He gets after the puck. Exceptional hands. You know, hands get him equated to Mitch Marner a lot. Um, but, you know, I think his defensive game is far ahead of where Marner was uh, at this point in time in his career. And so 
really exciting, really big name for the Wings. And, you know, to boot, the day after the draft, he goes out and he scores a great goal coming, you know, cutting from the midboards into the slot and, and firing just that nasty wrist shot that he's got. So uh, I think through five games already, he's got a couple goals and, and three points, and he's now up to playing 15 minutes a night. So, you you know, watch out. The guy, the reason he flew under the radar so much last year was like, he played sub-10 minutes a game, and now you know, getting 15 minutes a night, if this is the kind of talent level you're going to see and he really rounds out that game, I mean, watch out rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, he, he did score today in his first uh, post-draft game. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, he was in a limited role. And I thought it was interesting. Chris Draper talked about, you know, it, it was, for us at least, it was easy to wonder, like, does the fact that he played so little, like, is that going to just really, you know, hurt his ability to go this high just because with such a valuable pick, do you want to, or how do you kind of summon the confidence to make that pick for a guy who, who, you know, you might believe in the talent, but you just didn't get to see as much as you'd have wanted. I thought it was really interesting that Chris Draper said, you know, he liked that when they went and, and he would play not a lot, he would still be able to come off the bench kind of cold and and deliver like a couple of really nice sequences, whether it was to score or whether it was just like, you know, showing off his, um, his abilities. I mean, that was the, that was the comment from, from Draper in, in, in limited minutes that they still saw, you know, him, him be able to take advantage and respond. And, and I think that really excited the Red Wings. So, um, I thought that was interesting already this year. He's playing a lot more today, uh, on Thursday, he, he was almost at 15 minutes on the ice. Previous game was about 13, but the game before that it was 18. And like you said, two goals and one assist in his first five. Um, not that we care about plus minus, but um, in the absence of possession stats, it's also worth noting that he is—he uh, has been a plus or an even in every game so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, even when he was getting projected uh, based on you know tracking data, his his Corsi four percentage that uh, was tracked through a handful of his games, you know, put him up around sixty percent. So I think it—he's it, the kind of player that, to me, when I project and I don't want to say that his game is uh, like Mark Stone but I think he can have the Mark Stone type impact where it's that winger that just helps control every facet of the game and and ultimately I mean makes your team a better team every time he's on the ice so I think that's the ceiling for for a guy like Raymond and so I think I'm really excited to see how this year plays out for him given that He's going to continue developing with Ferlunda. Um, you know, the SHL is rocking and rolling. It looks like they're going to be able to have their season. So really huge uh, step for the Wings to be able to get one of their key guys uh, having a full season. Absolutely. Um, when do we think Lucas Raymond gets to the NHL? I mean, I think this is kind of the, the big question now. It certainly won't be this year. We know that. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know... I don't know if they would consider a look at the end of this season, like a brief one, but do you think it's the kind of thing where, you know, he he would be ready for that kind of thing? I mean, that was kind of where Moritz Seider was at at the end of last year, which it sounds like would be around a similar time frame, but Seider a lot more physically advanced. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that to bring that up. I think initially my thought was, uh, you know, the earliest you see him is maybe a late 21, 22 but realistically, in my mind, I thought it was probably 22, 23. I think the physical thing you bring up is very interesting. Uh, you know, you and I were discussing this before the episode, but it's kind of hard to figure out how much the guy actually weighs. Uh, you know, if you look all over the area uh, or across the web trying to figure this out, you know, he's listed at 183 pounds on Elite Prospects. I think Central Scouting had him at 170, but the Forlunda team website has him at 161. 
either way, you know, if he's closer to that 183, then yeah, he's he's probably a little bit more physically developed. But if he's closer to that 160, 170, you know, he probably has got to hit the weight room a little bit, put on a little bit more muscle. Uh, you know, I think one of Corey Pronman's uh, kind of nags about uh, Raymond's game was he was a little bit too perimeter for his liking. So, you know, allowing him to physically develop, being able to get to the middle of the ice. I mean, his goal that he scored today was exactly that. You know, breaks through a defender, stick check, gets to the middle of the ice, scores a great goal. So I think that's what he really needs, and that's kind of why I'm leaning, you know, towards 22-23, but I I don't think uh, 21-22 is out of the realm. Kel McCarr took two years to get to the league. Elias Pettersson took uh, one, but he was on the older side of that class. He was a November birthday. So that would put his kind of debut timeline um, in line with a couple of the better players picked in that range from, you know, a draft that's had some some stars come in that range. Yeah, I think if you're going to try and plan a development timeline, I think a good guy to model him after is William Nylander. Uh, so Nylander is drafted in, in 2014 and again, a similar high school player. Uh, so in 2014, 2015, he plays in the SHL. He's a point per game player for Moto that year. Uh, and then he comes over to the AHL, plays for the Marlies, point-per-game player for the Marlies uh, in the AHL the following season. So that would be kind of 21-22 for uh, Raymond. You know, he gets a little bit of game action with the Leafs, 13 points in 22 games, but again, spends majority of the season in the AHL. First full season in the NHL is kind of 16-17 for him. And so that's kind of where I'm thinking first full season of Raymond is maybe 22-23. And that tracks with uh, Philip Zadina as well. He's he's another guy who, you know, it, were it not for the injury to Anthony Mantha, probably comes up a little bit later in this past season. But either way, he, he's basically played, he, he's, he's 20 now, he's basically played a half season in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. And so I think you kind of put it on those timelines, and that's where I think maybe your first full time, or first full season is probably 22-23. And that lines up, honestly, with a lot of uh, the other guys in the Wings organization right now. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be certainly be interesting. I mean, I, I do think Cider will, will be in the NHL first. Um, and, and obviously, you're going to have players like Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen, I think, making their debuts somewhere in that timeline between now and when I think we're likely to see Lucas Raymond in Detroit. But I also don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And I don't think it's the worst thing to kind of stagger these guys. You know, there's a, certainly a contract negotiation element to all of that. Um, and, and as the Red Wings kind of build this up, uh, I don't see a huge reason for them to rush guys. I also will say I don't see a huge reason for them to hold guys back if they're ready. So if Lucas Raymond does get like a point per game this year or something, I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens. Maybe you still start him in Grand Rapids next year, but um, I, I'm interested to follow it. I, I don't think they should rush him, but I, I don't know that I would be uh, so quick to say they should like go out of their way to hold him back either. Yeah, there's a couple of ways I think you can think about it. You know, we've talked about the entry-level contract slide a handful of times in, in prior episodes, although it's been, you know, a little yeah. bit of time. And so, you know, in, in the case of Lucas Raymond, you're going to be able to slide his contract twice. Uh, and so if you chose to slide that contract, um, you know, you you could. I think there's pros and cons to doing it. The con being that, you know, if you do wait, you know, you slide the contract a couple years and then you bring him over, Uh, I think the challenge that you run into is oftentimes that next contract that you pay out is a little bit more expensive than had you brought him over a little bit sooner, signed him, and and don't slide that deal um, and get that first-year burn, similar to what the Wings did with Zadina. Uh, I think they only slid him one year and then burned the next year 
Uh, and that way you can at least get to the point of the negotiating table a little bit earlier in the career before they really put up those numbers. And again, not to keep the similarities to, to William Nylander all too much, but you know, that's what the Leafs did with Nylander. They kind of slid one year, burned the next year, got the ability to have the deal with Nylander where they got them actually relatively cheap, even though a lot of Leafs fans will tell you it's not cheap, uh, getting them in that $6 million range uh, now for you know a handful of years. And so the Leafs actually have a pretty good asset and Nylander tied up on a pretty good cost control contract that's similar to what the Wings did with Dylan Larkin as well. So I think you, you find the pros and cons, you find the balance, but most importantly, you make sure the player's ready. Again, last point to bring it... Um, you know, back to William Nylander for the final time. If you looked at Nylander at the time he was drafted, he's five foot 11, 169 pounds, almost a spitting image of what you got for Lucas Raymond. You look at what William Nylander is listed now, he's five foot 11, 196 pounds. So that's the kind of physical development you're hoping for uh, from Raymond to make in the next kind of one to two years to really allow him to be kind of that effective at the NHL level. Yeah. And, you know, the the kind of comparable that I think I've seen a lot of people put on Lucas Raymond is Mitch Marner. Marner did play in his age 19 season, which would be next year, was pretty impactful right away. Um, but, you know, I guess it's, it's just kind of a see how he develops in the next over the next year. You have plenty of time. There's no need to, to need to make this timeline right now. And Eiserman said he doesn't want to make a timeline or be held to a timeline right now. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is end up like the Oilers who rushed a lot of guys in the early 2000s, yeah. and that's kind of where they're at right now. You have to find that right balance between getting the right negotiation process in place without necessarily harming your prospects' development. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, well, let's move on then to the rest of the draft. Uh, 11 other picks made by the Red Wings on day two. Uh, they traded back a couple of times. And they, their first pick of the second round at number 32 William Wallander, Wallander, Wallander. I think it's Wallander. Yeah, it right William there. Wallander. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, Wallander was a guy that uh, I had identified as being a pretty good defenseman right around this range. You know, he he had a kind of an interesting season. He started, you know, in the Super Elite, the 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 J twenty, um, you know, league over there in Sweden. Quickly demonstrated that he was you know, far too good for the league. I mean, he put up five goals, 24 points, and 37 games played. Uh, so he got advanced to kind of that next tier, the Allsvenskan, which, you know, if you're thinking about the Swedish Hockey League structure, that's like the AHL. Uh, that's like going from the ECHL to the AHL here in North America. Um, and so, you know, he goes up to the next tier. Doesn't get a lot of playing time for Moto. Um, you know, doesn't really look, look impressive on the score sheet. You know, 18 games played, two points is all you really see. But I think the important thing about Volander is he has 
uh, great skill. I think a lot of people who have watched him can come away with the fact that this guy can absolutely skate. He is an absolute speed demon. He's got all of the tools, the ability to push the puck up in the rush. He's got the ability to make plays, uh, you know, on the fly. It's the kind of defenseman that Detroit just doesn't have right now. You know, it's a very, very smooth skating defenseman. And so, you know, I think there's some parts of his game that need to be rounded out. I think anybody who's watched him can tell you, you know, he gets lost in his defensive zone a lot. He doesn't have great defensive awareness. Sometimes, you know, is caught coasting um, there. And so those are all things that are going to need to be worked out. Those are, uh, you know, project pieces for the wings to focus on uh, as a part of his development. But he's got things you can't teach. You can't teach that kind of skating um, and that kind of instinct to jump into the rush. And so, you know, I like the pick because it's a swing for high skill. And I think that's what you have to do once you get outside of the first round is you need to swing for high ceiling, high skill players. And I think Volander fits that bill if you can recognize what his current deficiencies are and mold those as a part of his development. Yeah, I, I think this is one where you, you turn it over to Sean Horkoff and Nicholas Cronwall and Dan Cleary and, and you say, okay, what can you do with, with a guy who has all these tools, right? Like, you know, this guy fits the mold that, that they've seemed to look toward on the blue line. He's big, he's rangy, um, and I think you're right. I think he does skate better than most of the defensemen in their system. Um, and so, you know, of that height at least, you know, so I, I think it's a solid pick. I, I think I actually would have expected if they were going to take one of the big Swedish blue liners, they might've gone toward Helga Granz who, who actually scored again today, um, in Sweden, but, um, you know, different, different players. And, and obviously they were both big dudes and, and they go with, with Wallander who can skate really well. And, um, it seems like he's the kind of guy that, that they're, they're going to try and build around back there. This was the Draper quote on, on Wallander. When you start talking about the size and the range, you just look at some of the teams that were successful through the playoffs. They had a big decor and certainly that's not something we were talking. And certainly that's something we were talking about, but in the end, you're not going to draft them just because they're big. You want to draft them because they have to be able to skate. They have to be able to make a good first pass. And that's what we felt we got in Williams. So um, that's basically the rationale, right? It's uh, they, they see him as a two-way defenseman, not an all-offense, not an all-defense guy. And if you get enough of those, you, you can make a really solid uh, blue line built around guys like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you look at the cup champs and you see what Victor Hedman's done there. And he's that kind of type of player you're looking for, the bigger guy but very heady offensive instincts, great skater, smooth with the puck. I think that's what you're hoping you can mold Volander into. I'm not saying he's anywhere near Victor Hedman because he's not. Um, and and real, realistically, you know, you're probably conservatively projecting him as a number four defenseman, hoping that you can, with your development team, maybe move him into a number three or a number two. Uh, but, you know, you have recognizing the potential that's there. He's got the things you can't teach. You can't teach that height. And you really can't teach that skating. I mean, to bring it back to uh, the Elite Prospects draft guide for those of you that haven't read it, the director of European scouting for Elite Prospects had this quote to say about Volander. He's the most technically skilled skater among all defensemen in this draft. And so it's just it, that stuff you really can't teach, uh, particularly for guys of his size. I thought it was interesting. Iserman said that even though he's a left shot D, he mostly plays the right side. And that, I mean, I, obviously you don't want to be picking even at 32 overall based on handedness or side too much. So I'm, I'm not trying to overemphasize this, but if there was a part of the blue line that, that really needed, I thought, um, attention, it would have been the left side. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, 
it's kind of weird or almost uh, abnormal for these guys to be playing on their off wing uh, at the junior level. But, you know, we'll see. I don't imagine it'll be that difficult of a transition to get Volander over to the left side. But at the same time, what the Red Wings really need right now are competent defensemen. And so I don't really yeah. care where you're going to play. Just play defense and do 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 something out on the ice that's more than what we saw this past season. So I think at the end of the day, you're, you're not necessarily thinking so much about it, but it is an interesting uh, you know, piece of information for a guy in the junior leagues to be playing on his off wing consistently. Now he plays in the all Svenskin, so it is interesting. He, he's not going to be one of these SHL guys that Red Wings fans can can get used to. Uh, kind of Thursday Saturday SHL frenzies on their Twitter feeds between all the prospects the Red Wings now have, whether it's uh, Raymond, Jonathan Bergeron, uh, Albert Johansson. That it, it's a pretty pretty nice core there. Um, Volander's in, in the all Svenskin. But uh, I, I think that's actually not the worst thing for him. He, he's going to get to kind of play against men without quite the same caliber of uh, competition to face. I, I think that could actually bode well for him as he tries to add to his skill set. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a guy, again, you don't want to rush, you know, with everything that I just kind of listed off about the deficiencies yeah. and things you need to work on. He's a guy, I think if you advance him too quickly, you, you maybe shoot his confidence and then he sort of struggles to rebound and find his game. And so... You know, he's a guy you want to project four-ish years out from now, um, say maybe four or five years coming over and being ready to roll. That's typical for some of these defensemen. That's typical for guys kind of, uh, particularly the European defensemen coming out from there. I think all Svenskins better than any league you could bring them over to uh, in North America right now that without necessarily damaging his confidence. And so it's not inappropriate. It's still a men's league. It's still a decent team. Um, and so we'll kind of see what he's able to do over there. The Red Wings uh, made it a triple threat for Sweden with their first three picks. They went back to Forlunda. They now have three Forlunda players because they took, in addition to having Elmer Soderblom and Lucas Raymond, uh, Theodore Niederbach, a, what, what was described as a, a high-end skilled centerman. Uh, he's a right shot center. They obviously need more of that. Um, but, but, you know, the, the Red Wings praise his smarts, his skill, smooth skating, uh, Niederbach, I think he's 5'11". He's actually similar frame to Raymond from, from the measurements on central scouting. Um, and so this fills a important kind of center depth need, but it's also a, a big swing on, on upside here. And I do think Niederbach has some of their best upside in the class. Yeah. I think Niederbach's probably my favorite pick after the first round for the Red Wings. I think he's a really intelligent center who plays with the ability to control the pace of the game when he's on the ice. I mean, you you read some of the scouting reports about him. He's got excellent vision, excellent hands, distributes the puck very well. I mean, arguably one of the best passers in this draft. Uh, and, you know, the reason he kind of fell under the radar is he missed his entire 2018-2019 season with a knee injury. And so a lot of people kind of lost him in the shuffle of things. But you know, early on, this was a kid who was one of the best players in Sweden. I mean, he was in the tier of guys right after Raymond and Holtz. And so, you know, coming along that one year really set him back. But, you know, in his uh, initial conference with you guys, I believe, you know, Max, you asked him how his knee was doing. And he said, uh, it's 100%. And I think Draper in yeah. his press conference later said it's 100%. And so, you know, he's a guy that I think is just ready to roll um, and, and get back to the things. And he's demonstrated it. I mean, He's already played nine games so far this season, and he's got three goals and 15 points. I mean, this guy looks like he's about to blow the doors down, uh, you know, for, for Lunda's junior team this year. 
he's in an interesting spot because he's basically going to have happened to him in his draft plus one year. Um, what or, or or he's in the risk of having happening him in his draft plus one year. What happened to Raymond in his draft year, where playing in Forlunda, even if he is just dominating the super elite, I think it's going to be really hard for him to find time at the SHL level in that organization. So it's going to be a question of, okay, does do they just let him? run roughshod over the over the uh it's the j20 national now i think they're calling it yeah uh or or do they try to bring him up to the shl and give him you know seven eight minutes a game i mean it's going to be interesting but i do think you can trust in Forlunda's development organization a lot like you might be frustrated and i know from my two years on the beat that red wings there's might be nothing red wings fans hate more <laughs> than when one of their prospects isn't getting a lot of ice time but um i do think you can put a lot of trust in Forlunda that they're going to take Niederbach and, and get a lot out of him in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you're going to get, um, I think you're really going to get just everything you want out of Forlunda's development team. And the wings seem to be putting a ton of stock in there with Elmer Soderblom over there, Niederbach over there, obviously Raymond's in the organization up on the men's team. And so, you know, I think they've put a lot of stock uh, in that organization to develop players. And I think thus far, you know, you can't complain at all, I mean, about how some of these guys are developed. I mean, Elmer Soderblom's a great example that he's developed extraordinarily well. Um, you have to think about some of the other guys. So one of Niederbach's teammates was Daniel Torgerson, uh, who was another guy that was highly ranked, uh, you know, end of first round, early second round grade. And so he's another guy that's in that organization, and he looks like he's going to be an absolute stud player. So, you know, I think Niederbach getting some ice time at, at the J20 level is – uh, great for him. He's going to be able to go out there, absolutely dominate. And I think that's what you're looking for him to do. Um, and if he's able to do that and, and kind of advance his way up to the SHL, maybe uh, even within the season, uh, I think that'll be a great sign for Red Wings fans. I thought this was interesting from Corey's write-up. Um, he said, Niederbach's main flaws is very average foot speed. While he competes well, he does have an injury history. We mentioned that which may have made him look slower than he will be in a few years. That really caught my attention because I, I wonder if uh, do you, can you get a step back the farther removed you get from, from that rehab process, and does that really take his potential to another level potentially? Yeah, I mean, if he's able to add that extra development, like, you know, if he's able to, you know, again, work on that foot speed, and again, you're hoping that that's part of the development staff's plan with him is to work on kind of efficient strides, efficient skating, you know, being able to pick them up and put them down. If he's able to add that, I mean, again, that only elevates the, the caliber of player you got. You know, it sounds like, again, from Niederbach's own mouth, that it sounds like he says his knee is 100%. I mean, osteochondroitis, which is what he had, isn't necessarily something that's uh, you would expect to have long-term issues so long as, you know, everything went fine with the surgery and he hasn't had any setbacks. So, you know, I, I don't see any reason why he can't continue to develop and get just better and better. And I really think you're going to bring over a really heady centerman. You know, I think, Max, when you asked him about guys he likes to emulate his game after, he talked about pulling, you know, really the best from Sidney Crosby. And I can't remember who the other player he said was, but it was just know. like every good player. ever. Yeah, I mean, literally, he's just like listing off names of guys that he's like, I want to pull the best pieces of their yeah. game and do this. So, you know, he just seems like he's a a highly intelligent player, and, and and I think the Wings have a lot to gain from here. And the upside about him sticking in Fralunda uh, on the J20 team is Red Wings fans can start already planning for the 21 uh, draft, and you can start watching Simon Edmondson, who's going to be a top 
defenseman uh, available. I think he, he'll likely go in the top five, if not uh, top 10 at worst. And so start watching him because he'll be a fun one to go. So this will be my third year on the Red Wings beat. And there are a few phrases that I've come to to identify as markers to pay a little more attention to someone. Uh, and here's one of them, which was said by Chris Draper about Niederbach. One of the names that Hawken Anderson was really excited about. In my experience, when Hawken Anderson is like notably excited about a player, um, that does make me perk up just a little bit. I mean, we all know the stories with Hawken. I mean, his his scouting prowess is legendary. You think about all the great Swedes he's brought through. Everyone knows the Datsuk story of him going out to Russia and seeing him. It's just he's got a keen eye for these players. And if you've got Hawken Anderson excited, uh, that's a player that I want to you know, that's a player I want on my team and that's a player I want in my organization. So, you know, like I said, I, I can't say enough about the Niederbach pick. I really do think he's going to be the second best player from the this class for the Wings, and he may end up being one of the 10 best players in this draft. He is that good. If he becomes, uh, I mean, what's what's a reasonable range here? I mean, Joe Valeno level center, or you think higher? I think his ceiling is higher. I think his offensive okay. game is better uh, the way his intelligence, offensive awareness and ability to play, you know, in space and create space and see plays happen before they happen is better than Valeno. I think Valeno's a better skater than him. And I think that's no doubt. And I think Valeno's got, a, you know, an edge so far and maybe some of that two way game. But if you yeah. look through some of uh, the elite prospect write up on uh, Niederbach, they talk about how he is so good defensively in addition to being this highly intelligent offensive player, the way he reads passing lanes is exceptional. I mean, I made this comment to you offhand that, you know, in everything I had read, I thought this guy reminded, like reading the words, reminded me of Henrik Zetterberg. I'm not saying he's Henrik Zetterberg, and I'm not going to make that comparison from any sort of game, but reading the words describing the player from a highly intelligent player, above average foot speed, but not the best skater, great anticipation on defense, you know, those are all the things that I think of uh, when I think of Henry Zetterberg. And so I, I think his ceiling is higher than Joe Valeno's, uh, in my personal opinion. A lot of love from Prashant on that pick. Uh, and into the next one would be Cross Hannes. That he is a winger from the WHL. He's a high-skilled player. I did not know a lot about Cross uh, and still really don't know a ton about him, more than what I've now heard from, from you and from Chris Draper and from Steve Eiserman. Um, tell us what we should know about Cross Hannes. Yeah, Cross kind of fell under the radar a little bit. You know, he playing out in Portland for the WHL uh, or in the WHL. He was on the same team as Seth Jarvis. And so I think Jarvis commanded a lot of the attention from that team. Yeah. You know, Jarvis was on the line above him. Jarvis, obviously outstanding player, goes to the Carolina Hurricanes uh, at 13. You know, Hannes kind of fell a little bit under the radar there. And you didn't necessarily get to appreciate the same skill, but... This guy, again, the similar theme to what the Wings were shooting for in the second round, he's got skill that you can't teach. His hands are outstanding. He's an excellent playmaker. You know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, can drive uh, those shot assists. And he was one of the best players, you know, with shot assists uh, in the WHL this past season. I think Mitch Brown and his tracking had him in the 94th percentile uh, for shot assists, um, you know, per 60 minutes. And, and, you know, so he played at a point-per-game player. He was actually ninth in the WHL amongst draft-eligible players in primary points for 60 minutes. Uh, not a lot of guys ahead of him. And so I think he's it's part of that same 
you know, mentality that the Wings went for in their first four picks, which was swing for high skill, swing for things I can't teach. There's certainly defensive deficiencies to his game. Uh, you know, there's some issues with him being a little bit too perimeter. I think those are all valid when you kind of take a look at his game. But ultimately, you can't teach the skill he's got. And that's what the Wings really need right now. I know he mentioned yesterday, Cross did, that he wants to work on his skating and, and he thinks that's going to be something he has to get better at to make the NHL. Um, but I, I do like what you said. I mean, if, if you're going to take bets on skill and you're going to try and, and round everything else out around that, like let, let's say Cross Hannis becomes like a solid third line player with the pick this late. I think you're happy with that. Yeah, you're absolutely happy with that. And I think the, the mentality you want to have is you don't want to draft the guy who projects as the right. third liner. You want to draft the guy that's his floor is maybe a third liner and you're hoping that the ceiling is higher, maybe he ends up landing at that third line spot, and that's the case. But you don't want the guy whose ceiling and floor is a third liner. You want the guy whose ceiling, in Cross's case, I think is maybe a low-end you know, top six winger. I think he's got that kind of skill if he can round out the other parts of his game. But I think at worst, he's a guy that can maybe play on the third line for you and offer some you know, average scoring uh, contribu- contributions from there. So I think... Although again, at worst, none of them make the NHL, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at worst, none of them make the NHL. But, I, you know, I think he's a guy who maybe projects to give you, you know, a little bit above average scoring from that third line position. But I think his ceiling could be even higher if he rounds out, you know, the the defensive deficiencies, the awareness, the skating, the things that he kind of talked about. Yeah. I mean, this is where I think we should probably talk about what is a realistic expectation from the class as a whole. And we're going to start going through these guys a little bit quicker here or else we're going to keep you here for 90 minutes. But when I look at a a draft of 12 picks, six in the first three rounds and really six in the first 70 picks, I think you're looking for Lucas Raymond to be what you think he is, a first-line player, and then two more regulars from this class to call it a success. Am I... Am I shooting too low? Am I setting the bar too low there? Or is that reasonable? No, I think that's about right. I think somewhere between three to four players uh, from this draft are going to be in the NHL. And you're hoping that uh, Lucas Raymond is elite. And what's going to accelerate the rebuild is if one of the other guys can end up becoming, you know, a very good, if not elite player. And so that's kind of where I think if you're already looking through the first four picks, you swung for skill. And that's what has the potential to become elite. If you go out and you draft the grinder in the second round, that's not going to become elite. That has no chance of becoming elite. And so I think that realistically, you're going to say maybe three or four of these guys are in the NHL, and you're hoping one of those guys beyond Raymond is what can push that rebuild faster. I think so. So like if you think about it where Tyler Bertuzzi was a second round pick, and he, I think by any measure, is that fair to say, is a top six player? And then like on a bad team like the Red Wings, he can be on the top line? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So if if you can get, you know, he was in the same draft as Anthony Mantha, right? Anthony Mantha, top line player. Just those two players, that's a good draft. Almost no matter what, no matter where you're picking, right? So if Lucas Raymond is a top line player and you get another top six player, good draft. If Lucas Raymond's a top line pl- player and uh, William Volander is, is a top four defenseman, good draft. If you get both of those things and then also a bottom line player, good draft. If you get a top line player and two middle six or a four five a middle a four five defenseman and a middle six winger, I'm still inclined to say good draft there. Yeah, I mean, and and Red Wings fans don't have to look that far back. Look back to the 2017 draft. I mean, you're you're looking the 2017 draft. The Wings made 11 picks. 
you're going to maybe get Michael Rasmussen as a third line, maybe fourth line center. And you're going to get Gustav Lindstrom maybe as a third pairing defenseman. And that's all you're going to get in the NHL out of that draft, aside from maybe Keith Petruzzelli, uh, you know, developing. So, you know, you look back at a draft where you had a ton of picks and you got hardly anything out of it. You look back at the 2015 draft, only Evgeny Svechnikov and Chase Pearson really have any shot at being in the NHL. Uh, Vili Saryarvi is already out of the organization. Everybody else is out of the organization. The 2014 entry draft, you know, that's Dylan Larkin, right? You got Dylan Larkin and that's huge, but Turgeon not going to be anything and wasn't qualified. And now you're down into the Jace Perry, the other guys who never actually made the NHL. So it's so easy to look back in Wings history and see all these guys that maybe you were excited about, but they got nothing out of those years. And that's why the Wings are where they are right now. And that's why when you have the good draft, that 2013 draft, where you get Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, and you know you also should have had Matias Yanmark had he not been dealt away. Those are three good NHLers that you're able to land, and I think that's what you're hoping for at best. I think Raspison's a solid three. You don't think you know you think there's like major risk he's not a three? I'm not gonna say solid three. I'll say hopefully a three. Okay. All right. All right. Well, then let's get into the rest of the uh, of the picture. We'll go through them a little bit quicker. Two defensemen in round two: Donovan Sabrango uh, out of Kitchener in the OHL and Emil Vero uh, out of Finland. I did remember Vero's name from one of Corey's uh, stock reports this summer when he out of the U twenty camp had the Finland U twenty coach saying that he was their best defenseman at the camp, which is better than Vili Heinola, who was a first round pick last year. Um, that's pretty notable. He said the coach said he will play in the NHL someday. Obviously, uh, basing a entire opinion off of a U-20 camp is even crazier than basing a whole opinion off a U-20 tournament, so we're not going to do that, but I, it definitely bears mention, I think. Yeah, I mean, Vera's a, a talented player. I think he's not going to blow you off the page when you watch him. Uh, you know, I think he's still quite raw. He's got a lot of development to do. Uh, you know, he really needs to work on, you know, kind of making more consistent plays you know, being a little bit more spatially aware in the defensive zone, making sure he's taking the right angles, the right breakout plays. I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to jump up into the rush a ton, but I think he's got a lot of tools that are good that will probably get him to the NHL. But I don't know that his ceiling is particularly high, but I think he's a guy that can get to the NHL um, for sure. I mean, obviously being able to play in Liga as a draft-eligible defenseman, there weren't that many. I mean, Topi Nimolo is the other guy. Uh, and he went, you know, a few picks before Vero here. And so, uh, you know, I think these are a couple of guys who are really, really good. I think Vero struggled a little bit uh, more than Nimala did. Uh, but that being said, I think the tools are there and he's got the ability to to potentially make the NHL. And Sabrango, both of these guys have their skating as a tool that was praised by the Red Wings last night. Um, Sabrango, kind of more that defensive defenseman, physical player. Um, I know that maybe that gets a little bit away from kind of the the taking taking swings uh, ethos in theory, but I really I don't know that I actually view it that way in practice. Like I think you still need those guys, um, and 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 a good skating D man can can add a lot to your team, even if they're not even if it's not via offense. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a guy where you know potentially my read on this because. You know, I wasn't necessarily super enthused with the pick initially because I did think there were a couple of better guys out there. Um, but, you know, the more you, I dug into Sabrango, you know, you recognize that 
Again, similar to how the Wings drafted in other spots, he's got some stuff he can't teach. He's an athlete, comes from a family of athletes. I mean, his dad was, you know, played on the Cuban national soccer team. Like, you know, very, very good athletic background uh, for him. And, and, you know, like you said, Max, he's, he can definitely skate, definitely can move the puck up ice. Uh, you know, probably I wouldn't necessarily say he's great at anything in particular. Uh, but again, you know, similar to Vero, does a lot of things well, has a decent foundation. And, you know, like uh, unlike um, the Red Wings right now, he does give you a little bit of that physical edge, which is something that they don't have a ton of um, in the organization. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you get this is where, you know, I think that the point of the draft where you can actually not draft for need in the sense of like NHL need because these players are so far out that. Um, you don't know what your needs are, but but for organizational need, I think you can start thinking of it a little bit this way. And you get two left shot D. That's an area where you, you want Albert Johansson, a, a second round pick from last year, to to break through and be an NHLer. And but you also are are taking the chance that one of these two guys can be can can break through too. And, and now you've got three pretty solid. I, I don't know that I would put either of these guys in the Johansson tier yet, um, but. But you get more bodies, you take more swings, and you hope that one of them emerges so that, you know, along with Jared McIsaac, Johansson, Dennis Chalowski, the more of these guys you have, I think you can think about organizational need at at this point in the draft. Yeah, I I mean, really, you know, you you can certainly go that route, and I think that that's reasonable. I think for me, I kind of have always pushed back against ever really drafting for organizational need because, again, remember a lot of these guys, if they're going to make the NHL, is usually four or five years out. And again, within four to five years, what you need is can be completely different uh, depending on the decisions you make, the way free agency plays out, the way the following year's draft lottery plays out, you know, things along those lines. So, you know, I sort of struggle with that. I, I've always been of the mindset that you should always swing for the player you think has the highest ceiling uh, available because all you're looking for is guys that are going to make the NHL. And you don't necessarily want to take the guys that, you know, maybe fill a need but have a lower ceiling uh, you'd rather kind of swing for the fences a bit. But I still think both of those guys don't necessarily miss that piece. They do have decent ceilings. Um, but I do think they're a little bit more of the well-rounded, and I'm not as certain about their NHL potential. Yeah, I didn't mean to kind of say that they are they were drafting for need. I don't, I, don't, I don't recall them saying that at any point yesterday. It's just kind of me, I guess, maybe projecting that you see left shot, do you go back to back, and you wonder. I mean, I, I have thought that's a weakness of their pipeline for a while. Um, but you're probably right. They're not guys who, who I would say like are definitely deviations from what I could see as, as a completely reasonable draft list there as the best players available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they were all they were both reasonable picks at 63 and 70. And, and that's what you're asking for, because at this point, all the boards are breaking down. You know, everyone's got a different board after 50, you know, and, and you're just taking the players you and your scouts believe are the best players at that spot. And so. You know, that's who, you know, Draper and his staff believed in. Um, and so that's who they're going to take. And and that's what happens here. And I think they're, they're guys that, again, have that reasonable projection from that spot. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Antonin Ruda is one of their European scouts, and it sounds like Vero was a guy that he really liked. And uh, you know, I think that's interesting too. I'm always interested when there's a scout who's who's pounding the table for one of these guys. I'm sure it's realistically the case for uh, for all of them, but you know, you, you kind of take note of it when when you hear like the scouting director or the GM say, you know, oh, this guy loved him, and that happened last year with um, Antituamisto and, and Tyler Wright. And this year, Draper said that that you know Antonin was really excited about Vero. Said he knows how to play the game, plays the right way. Um, so I, I always take note of that when when there's when they're willing to say like, hey, this scout really likes him. Um, I, I think that does carry a little bit of extra weight in in terms of uh, the pick. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it shows you know great trust in your scouting staff, right? That's why they're there. Yeah. You know, there's thousands of players you could scout every year. You're not going to be able to see them all. And so if there's a guy that one of your scouts or multiple of your scouts is very excited about, you know, I think you put that trust in them because that's why they're in your organization. And so, you know, absolutely you go out. Um, you know, I think there was a quote from Iserman. I think it was in your article, Max, where he talks yeah. a little bit about, you know, these scouts pride themselves on what they do and they pride themselves more so on the later round picks that are able to pan out because that's what their fight line, that's their job. That's what they're going for here. Uh, and so I think, you know, if you've got a scout like, you know, Antonin sticking up for Vero and saying, this is a guy I really like, then yeah, you got to, you got to trust him and you got to go for it. Let's, let's talk about Draper a little bit here because this was his first draft as director of amateur scouting. And I, first, first of all, I was really blown away by how good he was in both his press conferences, a lot of passion there, but also just a lot of knowledge. And, and it really just seemed like a guy who really was loving what he was doing throughout that process. Um, maybe sounded like reading between the tea leaves. I kind of wonder if they got sniped on, on somebody they liked at one point there. But, um, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with Chris Draper through, through these two press conferences and, and certainly with the, the draft overall. Yeah. I think the number one thing that stands out from those press conferences, I watched them both, you know, I watched the one last night live. Uh, I, I think you see the passion, but beyond yeah. the passion, you see the work that's been put in. Uh, you know, I mean, the guy, when he was asked, uh, I believe it was art who asked him to just talk about a little bit about each of the prospects. I mean, the guy literally rattled off stats on every prospect and got like seven picks in before he even had to look at a sheet, uh, and, you know, talking about height, weight, shot, what they did, their play, you can tell all the work's been put in. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what you're looking for. Um, and, you know, I think the wings played this draft very smartly, uh, they were able to trade back at multiple picks. They were able to get a great asset 
you know, next season uh, or getting the 2022 fourth from Vegas, I think was a good deal as well. So ultimately the way this whole draft played out, I thought was very smart. And that's why you see it reflected in all of the greats thus far, you know, with Corey giving them an A. Uh, I think uh, J.D. Burke gave him an A. Uh, you know, a lot of people were A's, B pluses for, for them. So I think it all plays out and you can really just see the work went in, the passion's there. So I think Wings fans have a lot to be excited about. I know it's probably, uh, you know, I, I'm sure people roll their eyes when I talk about how good guys are in press conferences because it really doesn't necessarily affect most people. But I, I really do appreciate it. I, and I think it it adds a lot of insight when, you know, I, I thought, you know, Draper talked a lot about things that, that are really important for people to know about what they like in prospects. And, and when you get that kind of depth about what they like about individual guys, what they look for overall, I really think it just makes for a more informed kind of community around the team, whether that's fans, whether that's media or whoever, to just know what's going on and and what the franchise looks for, I really appreciate it. I, you know, I hope fans appreciate that too because I really do think it makes everyone smarter about how how we all look at these things. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think the transparency is what helps you understand the decision making, and and so yeah. you know, you and I as we're rattling through these picks, we can identify the traits and the things, and and Draper backs that up in the press conference by talking about some of the things that they're looking for. And so that's what really helps fans. And then, it, you know, it makes you a smarter fan as well when you're going out and watching the game or reading about some of these prospects. You're learning, oh, this might be a Red Wing guy. And, and Draper talked a lot about that. We know what a Red Wing looks like. And, and you, you know, as you go through these picks, you're starting to see, yeah, yeah, this is what a Red Wing looks like. This is what a Red Wing looks like. I'm starting to understand what they're looking for here. So I think that's a, a good note to transition back in then here because the rest of the way I really had only heard of Two guys, Jan Bednar, <laughs> the goalie they took. And again, I don't know anything about goaltending, so I just know that their goaltending guy likes him, right? <laughs> uh, he, he was played in the men's league for a couple of years. I always find that interesting when guys are able to play pro quicker. And then obviously Keenan Draper. So the rest of the way, I don't know a lot about any of these guys. So I, I know what they've told me and I know what I've been able to research. You know, Sam Stang uh, and Alex Cotton are two overagers. Stang, athleticism obviously would, would stand out to them. They talked about Draper talked about you know game winning home run he hit in the Wisconsin State baseball championship, uh, you know two sport guy there. I think that's always interesting from an athleticism standpoint. Cotton's a, a an overager who went absolutely nuts in his draft plus one year. Uh, I'm fascinated by that. He had like 11 points or something in his draft year, and then he went to 67 in 63 games last season. So that is crazy production. And frankly, if you drafted a guy who had like. 40 points in the WHL last year, and he jumped to 67, you'd probably be pretty excited about his development um, at this stage, so at the exact same age. And so the Red Wings basically just skip that first year and they just draft the guy straight up uh, when he's at 67 and 63. Um, you know, it, it's a later round pick. I'm not saying the guy's like suddenly one of their top prospects, but I, that very much interests me. Yeah, Cotton's, uh, I think, one of the more controversial players in the draft because I think if you look at the surface, everything looks outstanding and you're going, how's this guy like not going in the second or third round even? I mean, you know, he was third in the WHL in primary points per 60 minutes among defensemen. That was better than Bowen Byram and Callan Addison, like two guys who are routinely talked about as kind of some of the better defensive prospects in the NHL. And he's the same age as both of those guys. They're both in their D plus one year. And so you're going... Huh, like he outscored both of them. 
But, you know, as you start to peel the layers back a little bit, you recognize that, okay, he had 67 points, but 25 of them were secondary assists. And then you go, oh, okay, 31 of his points were on the power play. And you realize, wait, who else is on Lethbridge? Oh, Dylan Cousins is on Lethbridge. And so now you're saying, oh, okay, his point totals are very inflated. And, you know, one of the interesting things that stood out to me is he was fifth on his team, on his, amongst defensemen on his team in five-on-five five minutes played. Lethbridge routinely only played five defensemen. So he was very much hidden at even strength and then went crazy on the power play. And so I think that's, the, that's kind of the layer that's underneath the surface that, you know, you have to take this with a grain of salt that that production inflation is... One, he played with the best player in the WHL and Callan Addison's on that team as well. So arguably the second best defenseman in the WHL. And and two, almost half of his production was on the power play. And three, his own team was hiding him at even strength. So, I, you know, I'm not as optimistic on Cotton being there. That being said, he made a massive jump from year one to year two. And if he can continue to make it from year two to year three, then, then maybe you have a player and maybe you have an NHL prospect. But again, that's the kind of thing you swing on because if you're, again, coming back to that elite skill that you're looking for, Sam Stang, Alex Cotton, incredible shots. Cotton probably has the best shot in the WHL. So again, you, you went out and you went for the, the skill there. And so that's that common theme I can see even in going after a guy like Cotton. And I'll add, this is the other part of scouting that I think people roll their eyes at, but it there's no place where it is more important than at this part, part of the draft uh, than right here. And with this kind of player, Draper said, he has a real good self-assessment of where he is as a player and what he needs to improve on. And that's pretty impressive for a 19-year-old kid. So that was something that obviously stuck as well. He's a defenseman that has the ability to prove, produce offense, and we felt we were getting a good name there. The key part there, right, is that self-assessment of where he is as a hockey player. If you are getting guys with that one big trait that you're talking about or two big traits that you're talking about and turning them over to your development staff, basically a must-have for that to work is those guys have to be the kind of kids and the kind of players who are not only going to listen to what your development staff says, but who are going to like believe inherently that they need that help because that's the only way you need kind of moldable clay if you're going to you know, work from that kind of profile of one or two big traits, that to me is a really key aspect of all this. And one of the parts of scouting that I think goes underrated. Yeah, no, completely agree. And you have to recognize what you need to fix. And, and if you as a player are already aware of it, it makes it that much easier to buy in when you've got your scouting team and development team kind of telling you, hey, this is what we need to work on. This is what we need to work on. And you're not necessarily resisting it because you know, you've self-identified that's something you want to work on. Um, okay, so we'll get to Keenan Draper in a second. Let's go to the last pick first, Chase Bradley. Um, I knew very little about him. USHL player, seventh round pick. What should I know about him? Yeah, I mean, he's a very interesting player. You know, I think Draper in the press conference talked about he was a you know a guy that kind of tried it out on the third line uh, for Omaha. You know, it was kind of difficult to play against. You know, I did a little bit of digging into his numbers because, I mean, 19 points, 34 games in the USHL, six foot, 190 pounds. None of that really screams you know, success. Interestingly, and this is maybe a, one of the weirder statistical anomalies, Bradley played about 400 minutes of ice time, uh, you know, for Omaha. And in the 400 minutes he was on the ice, his team scored 21 goals and they gave up five. And so that works out to like an 81% goals for percentage and works out to about 3.1 goals per 60 minutes for and about 
0.7 goals against per 60. I don't know what happened or if that's just like some weird 400-minute statistical anomaly, but I'm really interested to see how that continues to play out because that looks really good uh, by my assessment. And if that's something that's related to his play more so than his teammates' competition, et cetera, et cetera, then yeah, I mean, maybe you got a guy who can make it out of the seventh round here. Yeah, I mean, Draper praised the the competitiveness. Um, Corey wrote that scouts like how hard he works, his skating and his physical play. Um, so those are kind of the, these are the late round flyers, right? These are the kids that if they make it, I will be going back and talking to everyone in this kid's life and being like, what did everyone miss that this kid made it to the seventh round? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. And and again, that could just be a really weird statistical anomaly that I stumbled across. I certainly didn't know that before the draft. Otherwise I would have said something, uh, (laughs) you know, on Twitter because like, Hey, why is this guy, you know, not even ranked by outlets and and he's sitting here with an 81% goals for percentage, like pay attention to this, but you know, we'll see. I think we need to see how it looks uh, for him moving forward. Um, You know, we'll see how the development plan works out. Remember these seventh rounders, you're talking about you're you're blindfolded after being spun around in circles and then throwing a dart at the dartboard. So, you know, long odds here, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. And then the the other member of the class uh, is Keenan Draper. That is Chris's son. I think obviously people see that and they're like, huh, I wonder what the story is there. Um, but I will say, Steve Eiserman said there there were multiple amateur scouts not named Chris Draper who were pushing for Keenan Draper to be drafted. One from Ontario, who would have followed him when he was at St. Andrews College, and one from the West, who's been following him early this year since he got to Chilliwack. He had a four-point game last weekend that I tweeted out before this draft. Um, so obviously, like, I don't think this is a – I mean, he was, he was ranked by Central Scouting. I don't think this is, like, a crazy pick by any means. Like, I think Keenan Draper, it does seem like, is was a legit, you know – candidate in in this range um certainly at least in the minds of at least a couple red wing scouts not named chris draper but obviously they talked about it and eiserman asked him you know you sure you want to put him in this position you know your obligations to do whatever is right for the red wings i trust your judgment in the end and basically here's here's what draper said about it as you start talking about these players i want to hear our area scouts start talking about names and keenan's name came up and then it just felt like it was the right pick for our organization that's really how it came about obviously i'm super proud very excited but my job is to draft prospects that I feel are going to be part of the Detroit Red Wings organization going forward. And I believe in Keenan. And just as importantly, I have guys on our staff that believed in him as well. And that's how we ended up making up that selection. I I do think it's kind of an awkward situation. I felt bad, uh, you know, during that press conference, you know, you, you want to be so excited about your son getting drafted. And I almost wonder like, I don't know. I, I don't know. He's, he's obviously very proud and very excited for Keenan. It is a little awkward, though, right? Like you're you're standing in there and everyone's asking you about drafting your son. And it certainly sounds like there were, you know, scouts in the system who wanted this. Um, but I think everyone kind of just naturally looks to that and says, OK, well, are you just drafting your son? Yeah. And, you know, that was a little bit disappointing to see uh, some of the reaction, I think, that happened on social media with some people kind of, you know, claiming that that was really the only reason he was picked. I mean, Max, you just laid out a a reasonable argument. And you also have to remember this is the seventh round, the 187th pick. At this point, hardly anyone has any clear sense of who the best player is on the board uh, at this point in time. And so at that point, you're looking for players that can be considered, you know, reasonable selections uh, to make. And so again, you know, already having seen some of the recency bias that inflated, uh, you know, guys like Igor Chinnikov, you know, to get picked in the first round, uh, you know, I think with Draper getting off to a good start, 
uh, in the BCHL. I think this is really the first time that, you know, you're going to see him in this upper tier league. He was kind of in the Canadian high school system uh, where he's gotten drafted out of. I mean, hey, you know what? Who's going to be more motivated to work harder? And where would he be more motivated to work than here in Detroit? You know, I think uh, Chris kind of alluded to this uh, in the press conference that he grew up here. He saw the best players. Uh, you know, he knew he knows what it takes and he's willing to put in the work. And I think Keenan said as much in, in his, uh, you know, media spot. So, yep. you know, at, at 187th overall, this is absolutely a reasonable pick. He knows he's got the deck stacked against him. In the last decade, only five players have been picked from the Canadian high school system, and only two of them have made the NHL, Mark Jankowski and Warren Fogle. Uh, so, you know, it, the deck is stacked, but hey, you, if you're willing to work and, the way, and you, know, you, you know the system, you know the organization, then you know, it's absolutely a reasonable pick at 187. Yeah, I have no issue with this, right? Like, I, to me, it's the it's the, the the unfortunate part is that no seventh round pick should be expected to make the NHL, and it, you almost feel like people like are going to want him to make the NHL to justify it, right? But but I think you know he's committed to Miami of Ohio. Like I said, he had a four point game in the BCHL last weekend. I have no issue with the pick at all. Um, and I am interested to see how Keenan progresses because he does have kind of an infectious personality where you really feel that uh, the drive that he's talking to you about wanting to to make this dream a reality for him. So to me, I thought it was a really feel-good story. I think it's going to be an unbelievable story if he does make it to the NHL as a seventh-round pick um, and, and he can kind of quiet anyone who, who would have questioned why he would have been the pick there. But I guess I'd kind of offer up the counterfactual as, as a pretty good justification for doing it. Imagine if the Red Wings didn't draft Keenan Draper in the seventh round, some other team after them did, or even he signed as an undrafted free agent and makes the NHL. And now you look ridiculous because you didn't listen to your own scouts who who said they wanted to take him just because you were afraid of it looking weird. Like that, that's the, that's the counterfactual that I think justifies this. If, if, if your scouts believe in the kid and if you believe in the kid and you think it's a legitimate seventh round pick, you should do it because if you don't and he makes it, then then you've actually done harm. Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. And you know, again, with multiple scouts being on the on board with this, believing that he's a legitimate pick at this spot, you have to make the pick. And so, you know, I think it was interesting, almost you know, from Eisenman's standpoint, saying, "Are you sure you want to put him in that spot?" Right. Uh, you know, it was just like, yeah, maybe he's even a reasonable pick, but, you know, that's going to be a lot of pressure on the kid's shoulders. But, again, you listen to Keenan's interview, you listen to Chris's interview, both describe a kid who is just absolutely, you know, committed to doing everything he can to get to the NHL level. And so it's it's hard not to root for that and kind of root for that pick, uh, you know, to be successful. And, again, kind of trusting their scouts that, hey, maybe they've identified a kid who's got what it takes to get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if he, if he makes it, it's going to be an unreal story. Um, I just don't think it's fair to say if he doesn't make it, that made it a a you know ill made pick, right? Like you had multiple scouts on the on the board for this guy, um, or on on the on the bandwagon for this guy, and and you got to listen to him. You know, it, it's almost like that. You know, no matter whose son they are, right? That that doesn't just mean if they're not someone's son. It actually means if they are someone's son, right? Like you you can't just rule them out because you you think it's going to look awkward or, or it might be awkward for a couple of years. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's talk overall then. I mean, do you, do you have a, are you, are you a draft grader? I, I really don't like doing grades, but yeah, are you I mean, a draft grader, you know, I graded 
this draft. I don't usually grade drafts, but this one, you know, I, I felt like over the past year, you know, you and I have spent a ton of time, you know, talking about the draft because effectively since the beginning of the season, we knew that this was going to be the biggest moment of the Red Wings season. And so, you know, having kind of spent some time doing that, I think I went out, I graded the Wings uh, with a B. I think I actually came in lower than a lot of other people, which should not surprise anybody who has listened to me grade stuff. I come from the background where nothing is ever an A and, you know, even if it's 100%. So that being said, I think where the Wings really excelled was swinging for the fences on specific skills. They went after the elite skaters. They went after the incredibly intelligent players. They went after the guys with great hands. And they went after the guys with great shots. And so they went out. They found skills. They identified them. They picked them. They did that part. Um, I think they got great value in the first couple of rounds. I think potentially Wallander is the only guy I would kind of quabble with at 32. Uh, I I think potentially you had a couple other guys uh, like Husnutinov, uh being available uh, at 32. Um, you know, Paterka was available at 32. A couple of guys who may have been a little bit uh, higher ceiling in my opinion. But that being said, you know, I'm less confident projecting defensemen uh, than I am with forwards. And so, you know, Wallander could absolutely be a, a great pick after four or five years. You know, I've already said what I said about Niederbach and then Hannes obviously having the talent. I think the only thing that knocked me down uh, or knocked my letter grade down for the Wings was I thought in rounds three through five, there was a little bit more potential to take some higher upside guys. You know, we saw guys like Topi Nimala slide. We saw guys like Roni Hervonen slide. Um, you know, Alexander Passion made it all the way to uh, 199th. Uh, you know, Vidi Mietman, who was one of the best shooters in the junior finish leagues, made it all the way into the 150s. So, you know, I thought there were guys that they could have jumped on. Uh you know, in the third round, guys that had a little bit higher end skill or potentially a little bit higher ceiling. But that being said, you can't argue that any of the picks made were inappropriate picks because at the end of the day, once you're getting past that 50-60 mark, everybody's board looks different. Everyone has different valuations at that point. And a lot of these players are, are roughly in the same tier. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, then that will wrap our uh, our draft coverage there. Quickly, because I know we've been talking for a long time now, let's pivot into what comes next. Might be outdated not that long after people start listening to this podcast, but basically the draft ended and the free the free agency sprint uh, began. Sounds like they want to do some stuff. Steve Eiserman said he's open to adding a forward, potentially a right shot forward, potentially even two forwards. And what stunned me, he said potentially two to three defensemen. That could be a busy, busy free agency for Steve Eiserman. Yeah, I mean... And- you know, they go, they buy out just an applicator, right? So it buys them about two and a half million in money to use uh, this season. They've got about another two million in savings for next season. Ultimately, the net ends up being about a savings of three million. But you kind of set yourself up to use that money. Now, in years past, I think I would have dreaded this moment a little bit more because uh, in years past, that was used to offer kind of big dollar uh, long term deals to. Players, I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of likening back to the 2016 offseason where, you know, you deal Datsuk's contract to be able to go out and sign, you know, your Franz Nielsen's, your Thomas Vanix and and those kinds of players. And that really set the wings back a little bit. Um, it sounds like what Eisman's, you know, more interested in doing is just making sure he's got his team supplemented enough. You know, I think what's going to be really interesting for me is how does the loan system work? with some of these guys being able to either come back 
uh, to the NHL if the NHL resumes when the other seasons are still ongoing. And if that's why Eiserman feels the need to add a handful of guys, because potentially you're not seeing Sider, you're not seeing Lindstrom, uh, you know, you're not seeing Rasmus. You'll see Lindstrom. So I can I can shed some light there. So it's okay. Valeno and Sider by virtue being the SHL. Right. I am pretty confident are there at least through the end of the SHL season. So regular season will end in mid-March. Both of their teams, I believe, are at least solid. Rogel's better. So Sider's probably deeper playoff run. Um, so, But I, I think both of those guys would be off the table until mid to late season NHL, depending on when they start. Yeah, and so if you're kind of removing, you know, Valeno and Sider, you know, again, that's maybe one spot you were expecting, at least for Sider. Valeno probably wasn't going to be on the team this year. But, right. you know, it's it's... It's tough. I mean, you've got openings you can play. I think it partly speaks to what are you doing with Dennis Chalowski. I think it partly speaks to how they're going to view Alex Biega, whether he's still going to be kind of the platoon seventh man versus having a regular spot. Maybe it even sheds some light on how they feel DeKaiser's recovered from his back injury. I don't know any of that, but I think it, it is interesting because there's a lot of guys they have within the organization who could slot up. But that being said, none of them are really particularly attractive options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, what I'm curious about, I, I think the the still kind of like headline question is, are they going to be able to use any more of their cap space to pick up a draft pick? And we don't really know. I mean, free agency contracts. I just made the comment like he's seen a couple deals that were maybe a little higher than what he would have thought considering the climate. I don't know if you have been on Twitter at all while we've been recording this. Josh Anderson is getting seven times 5.5 from Montreal. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that it's going to be an overpay. Josh Anderson, if he plays like he did last year, it could be worth that. But seven years of term there, I think, is is kind of the notable aspect in this environment. Um, and, and if there are those big deals out there and teams end up having to really pay full price, maybe that does create some more urgency for other teams to have to offload. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the teams you still have to look at and target is Vegas, because while you saw a lot of buying out of goaltenders, uh, you know, today you saw, you know, Chicago electing not to bring back Corey Crawford. You saw the the, the Devils electing yep. to, you know, part ways with Corey Schneider. There's a lot of goalies hitting the market. One team that did not move their goalie and did not buy out their goalie was Vegas. And Vegas has been incredibly committed to getting better and better. They've been very much linked to Alex Petrangelo. They don't have the money to do that if you have Marc-Andre Fleury under contract because they just handed $5 million to Robin Leonard. Look at Vegas. Continue to press Vegas. That's the team that I think you can get uh, a pick plus Fleury from. Vegas has their first-round picks in each of the next uh, three drafts. You know, if I'm Detroit, look for that 2022 first-round pick. That 2022 first-round is going to be absolutely filthy and if Vegas craters for some reason as their as their core starts to get a little bit older potentially you've got yourself a lottery pick uh that's there and that's an extra one and you end up in a situation like Ottawa so to me Vegas is still the team that jumps out as hey get, give Mark Andre Fleury up and you can go out and get Petrangelo yeah I mean that's that to me is, is the the move that makes too much sense at this stage is retaining at least some of Mark Andre Fleury's contract. I don't know if Fleury in Detroit makes any sense for Fleury, but 
you know, housing half of his cap hit in in, in Steve Eiserman's uh, bank vault or, or Chris Illich's bank vault actually uh, does make quite a bit of sense because you know the Red Wings can do it and they're the ones that that have the most incentive to do it. They've been loud and proud about wanting to do it. Um, that to me is the one that makes the most sense. I, I do wonder if they can find a way to pull another first round pick next year from from somebody. Um, I know next year's draft isn't the the really ballyhooed one, but it does it does strike me that even though there's not like that one big two, one or two really big guys at the very top, Corey and Scott Wheeler um, both now have put out their their early rankings, and it seems like at least interesting names into the into the teens there that. Um, I, you know, if you pick up one of those guys just for, for taking on a contract for a year or two, um, I think that could be pretty savvy. I don't know if it's out there, but, it, but it'd certainly be interesting if, if they can make it work. Yeah. I mean, that's again, exactly the kind of deal that Detroit should be looking to do. And, you know, it goes back to the point of, well, why buy out just an applicator, right? Because you're going to put three extra years at a million per year on the cap, you know, when his contract would have ended. The reason you do that is you now have added that extra money that you can go out and kind of make these kinds of deals. So, you know, I, I think expect that that's going to happen. I don't know who it's going to be or when it's going to happen, but, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that are getting really crazy with money. I mean, Mark Bergevin, I don't know what he's doing, um, throwing some money around at Josh Anderson. That's uh, a lot more than I would have given Josh Anderson and a lot longer of a deal than I would have given him. But, you know, if you find these teams, uh, you know, putting themselves in a bind. Those are the ones you got to go out and say, all right, if you want to get out of the bind, it's going to cost you. We have debated going back at least eight, nine months about whether there would be a Kyle Turris fit in Detroit. Um, that was even when he had a four years and $6 million per year left on his contract um, in, a, in a deal kind of like what we were just talking about. He's now been bought out. Would you go two years with Kyle Turris on something short term? Uh, I think it would depend on what the AAV is going to be. I mean, two years, I think is fine. You know, he would be able to slot in for you on the second line very easily. Again, second line center has been a huge problem for uh, the Wings for the last couple of years. So, you know, he would fill an immediate need uh, in that sense. But again, you know, if that money is taking away from your ability to do another deal that adds assets, then no, I would not want to do that. That being said, the Wings have so much money in cap space. They've got $28 in cap space right now. So... You know, we'll see what they do, but uh, I wouldn't do it if it takes away from your ability to do another deal. Uh, what about Andy Green or Troy Stetcher as defense? Those are two that I kind of threw out there in my article today. Um, Green as, as a veteran who's got, you know, roots here. I, I think he and Blaschel have a tie going back. Uh, I think Blaschel coached him at one point. And then Stetcher, to me, was the most surprising name on the non-qualified offer list. I think he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised that uh, Vancouver elected not to do that. I mean, that was just a a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. Um, you know, Stetcher is 26. He's, you know, a reasonably good defenseman. Uh, you know, for Detroit, he's another right-handed defenseman that can slot on the right side of the line. So they're just completely stockpiled there. I wouldn't be uh, opposed to going after Stetcher for, you know, a three-, four-year deal if he's interested in that. I don't think I would go longer than four by any means keep him you know to to less than 30 by the end of the deal um green is another one you know fine if you want to hand him a one-year deal uh but again he's 37 i don't think he offers you anything um you know really on the ice i don't think he offered uh much really in the last couple of years other than you know quote unquote leadership so he's not a guy i would be super excited about pursuing okay 
Well, I, I just think he kind of fits the mold of the the veteran leader type that you know I think they want to have around their young players. Now with Cider, likely at least for the first half of the of the NHL season, not around. Maybe that becomes less of a important factor, but. Um, you know, Hironik certainly will be around. I think Lindstrom will at least have a shot. Uh, Dennis Chalowski at least have a shot. Um, you know, it, it sounds like Eiserman wants to allow the young players to develop at, at reasonable rates and not be pushed into extreme situations. But certainly that could be accomplished with someone, you know, like more like in the mold of Stetcher or uh, Matt Benning was another one from Edmonton that got non-qualified. Those are younger players. I wouldn't say they're like super seasoned vets, but they both got four NHL seasons under there. I, I think they could kind of fit. Um, you know, I'm not predicting that per se necessarily. Like I, if I had to guess which one of those options is more likely, I kind of would lean toward green. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think either of those guys would be a bad option either. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think anyone's really a bad option so long as the term is not long. And I think 100%. that's the key. So. You know, you could short again, terms. Yep. Yep. You you know where the wings are going. You know that you can't have anything long term. Keep it short term. Anything's really fine. And I will say, just as we wrap up here, um, just to kind of make sense of the advocator thing, I don't did you know this that the, the that the extra cap hit and those three extra years that basically got added was only gonna be about a million dollars? Yeah, I mean, you know, you play with uh, Cap Friendly's buyout calculator for enough years and you, you kind of memorize <laughs> some of the contracts you've looked at. Uh and so you know, I, I knew it was going to be that. The question was, was that one million? You know, did you want that to sit on your cap for an extra yeah. three years? Uh, you know, and, and, and in this case, uh, I think now it makes a lot of sense, given that Eiserman has shown the propensity to make the smart kind of deal with that cap space. I think in years past, it was a little bit terrifying because then that money would go out to the Franz Nielsen, it would go out to Trevor Daly, it would go out to you know Thomas Vanek, and that's not where you wanted it to go. You want it to go to, hey, give me Mark Stahl in a second round pick. Hey, give me Mark Andre Fleury in a first round pick. Like that's what I'm going to do with my cap space. I certainly don't think it's like a no brainer or anything like that. But but when I did see it break down and see that basically you're trading two million in savings for the next three years for one million in additions for the three years after that, those add up to be a favorable deal. And I also think the cash savings is significant in this. Like I think it's three million in total cash. Um, Chris Illich has a lot of millions of dollars, but, but right now everyone knows how tight money is just in general. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to say it was a no brainer. I was surprised by it, but when I saw it all laid out in the, in the dollars and cents of it, and in the, basically what the trade-off is for the next three years, when you can use that cap space more creatively and, and, and really benefit from that flexibility in the end, I don't really think three years of a $1 million cap hit is all that much to pay. No, it's it's really not. And, you know, even you look at it from the other side, Justin Abdicator, you know, as much as he did for Detroit, uh, you know, he was already finding it difficult to get into the lineup for the Red Wings. You've got guys you'd like to advance that are in a similar mold, your Giovanni Smiths uh, that you want to get up into the lineup. And, you know, from, from Abdicator's perspective, you know, maybe you give him a shot at being able to go sign with another team, potentially have a chance to to make a cup run as a fourth liner somewhere else. So I think it's kind of a, a necessary situation for him because had he been in the uh, in Detroit, you know, under contract, I can't imagine that he would have played very much and he likely would have been waived to to go down to Grand Rapids. And so it would have ended up being similar to what the Wings did with Jonathan Erickson this year. Fair enough. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about as we wrap up here on the draft, on free agency, or on anything else? 
No, I think just uh, get ready for free agency. It's going to be a fun, uh, fun time on uh, on Friday here. Yeah, I stayed up until seven thirty writing last night, and then slept until three as I tried to recover. So um, I just hope I wake up for free agency. Don't worry, I'll text you, Max. You're gonna have to call. I'm not waking up to a text. Fair enough. <laughs> call me when the first shoe drops, just to make sure. All right, I got you. All right, and we've got you guys out there. We'll be back for another episode uh, next week. I believe Tuesday is our plan as of right now. We'll have uh, all the fallout from what should be a really fun few days in the NHL. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, let out a sigh of relief. You finally made it through the 2020 draft. 2020-21s is next up.